As kids say, YOLO. And I kick it to all the people who can quest like a tribe does. Before this, did you really know what I was? Comprehend to the track force. Why? Because getting mentions on the Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Relatively Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Nardone. Unfortunately, today, my normal co-host, my friend, my BFF, my life partner, if you will, in a platonic way, Jared Mintz, cannot join us. He is busy, hectic schedule. We have things going on. We're going to have a, a podcast on Friday as normal. I know this is a weird day for us. We usually don't have anything during the middle of the week. But we were able to secure a special guest to help us break down the Final Four. And we didn't want to hold it off. So, yes, Friday, Jared will be back. Everything will be back to normal. But for now, for today, joining us is Fox Sports' Aaron Torres. You may also know him as the author of One in Fun, a look into the 2010 Kentucky Wildcats championship team. Before we bring him on, we're going to let you know that we're going to do something a little bit different each week now when we ever have a guest on. Wrestlers have theme music. We need to do that with our guests to best represent their character. So here he is, the man, the myth, the legend, Aaron. As you guys will notice this segment, Jared's not with us. He's a, a newly married man. He's out there making babies. He couldn't make time for this interview we have with Fox's Aaron Torres. Aaron, how are you doing? Thanks for joining the show. See, this is why I can never get married. You get, you can't do any of the fun stuff, man. You know, I mean, listen, I've been with my girlfriend for a while now, starting to feel some external pressure, maybe. But look, you know, look, he he gets married, and all of a sudden he bails on your podcast, man. That's kind of messed up. I I, I, I mean, I'm just saying, you know, I'm just I'm just stating facts here. Well, the, the weird thing is, you said you can't do the fun stuff when you're married. I, I'd argue that maybe what he's doing is the fun stuff, and what you and I are doing, maybe <laughs> not so much the fun stuff, you know? Yeah. I guess I, I guess I could make I could uh, I could see that argument. I don't think I don't want to venture down that road too far. But uh, yeah, that stuff is fun in general. Yeah, I would say so. All right. Good point. So, so we brought Aaron to talk Final Four. We're also going to ask him some stupid questions so people that aren't familiar with him get to know him a little bit. Um, you might recognize him from FoxSports.com. He's been on the herd with Colin Coward. He has the book One and Fun. It's an inside look into the 2010 Kentucky Wildcats. Uh, he's a great dude. Super knowledgeable. Uh, we're going to start you off pretty easy. You got Dor- Dorsey, you have Brooks, you have Oregon. They were a one seed last year. Why are people kind of shocked that they're in the Final Four? Uh, I, it's a lot of things. I mean, look, I mean, part of it is they're just not the traditional basketball power. And it's really funny because in the preseason, I actually um, picked Oregon to play for the national championship. I actually picked Kentucky in the preseason and Oregon in the, in the championship game. Because of everything you said, you know, I, I saw that team in person last year at the West Regional Final in Anaheim. They lost to Buddy Heald in Oklahoma. But for people who might not remember, there was a big kind of to-do in the Sweet 16 where Dylan Brooks kind of hit a last-second shot. Coach K kind of, you know, kind of didn't take kindly to that. And I bring that up to say that that story really kind of took it, – it, I think it took its toll on Oregon. You know, as somebody that was at all those press conferences – it seems like they just that was the, once they beat Duke that was the only thing they got asked about for two straight days. You know what what happened with Coach K? Are you apologetic? Do you feel? And it, it just and you could tell by the time they took the court they were kind of worn out. I remember Elgin Cook who was a senior on last year's team, you know, just like 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 basically slapping guys upside the head like let's go we're playing in the Elite Eight, and they never got going. Buddy Heald. Help uh, Buddy Hield in Oklahoma advance, and the rest is kind of history. And so I think they've been playing with that chip on their shoulder all year. But yeah, I mean, I, look, I'm kind of surprised, and I, I think part of it, I think the other part is, is that um, 
you know, look, they were in line to get a number one seed. Many people thought they would get one. And then they lose in the Pac-12 championship game, and they lose Chris Boucher, who was a kind of a key role player. He wasn't a starter, but he was very important to what they did. So they lose the number one seed. They get shipped out of the West. And now you got to go to the Midwest region where Kansas is the number one seed basically playing in their backyard. I think all of those things factor into it. But, man, Oregon, for those of us who, who, who know the sport and watch the sport year-round or during the season, um, they are a good team that, that really, to be perfectly honest, is capable of beating anybody, including North Carolina, who they play next. Yeah, I think I, I forget the exact numbers, but before the uh, tournament began and Boucher got hurt, I remember pulling up numbers and uh, with Bell on the floor and Boucher off it, their, Oregon's offense was actually like a full point better, not a full point, but like, Point seven points better per possession without him with Bell on, which was which yeah I thought it was a really interesting stat. The, the sample size was very small though, um, and then I think a lot of it for me on my perspective, at least from a national standpoint, a lot of people just you know you get infatuated with the younger, fancier, shiner, newer things. You have you have Levar Ball, um, so that's Alonzo Ball. I apologize. Wow, uh, and Levar too. No, no, no. I mean, look, Levar has captured his own headlines. Make no mistake. I mean, he. He has taken away from a lot of on-the-court stuff, which, good or bad, that is a fact. So I, I don't blame you for whether you intended to do that or not. I don't blame you for saying that. I think he has absolutely taken away from a lot of on-the-court stuff. Well, what's odd is we're talking about this right before we record it. We're recording now. I was watching uh, television. People are mad because Lonzo and LaVar are on first take. And um, I don't know why there's a backlash towards it. Um, Lonzo's obviously already declared for the NBA. Um, no... I don't see an issue with starting your earning potential like right now. So uh, it's just funny how that works out. But I think in the grand scheme of things, nationally, Oregon still trying to, I think, get a foothold that doesn't travel like a Duke or Kentucky or North Carolina. I mean, nobody really does. So when you have something like Lonzo Ball at UCLA, which is fun and fancy and shiny, and Arizona for that matter, um, teams that are like a little more um, blue-bloodish, I think it's easy to forget about how good Oregon was last year, even though they returned to some key pieces. And then like the injury... It's easy to say now, in hindsight, Bell's been a dynamo block of shots of being an impact player, but you don't really know those things. More importantly, Aaron, how many days a week do you shave? Oh, wow, okay. So we're the, the, the natural progression from one to two. Oh, they're, they're, uh, the, the, I, I, I could... the, uh, the um, transitions here are not going to be smooth at all. I'm just going to just pop them right in, make it as uncomfortable as possible. I was going to say, I can totally see why they, they correlate. Jordan Bell and how often do I shave <laughs> So, so here's the deal. I actually have a very strict shaving schedule. So I don't know if you've ever seen what I look like, with the possible exception of my appearance on the herd last week. Uh, but I, when I shave, like when I have, and when I'm clean cut, I look like a child. And I am a, a man in my 30s now, my early 30s. <laughs> I would add. I'm not not my mid or late 30s. So when you shave and you look like you're 19 years old, you kind of have to time it out so nobody's going to see you for that first day or two. So I usually like to shave on a Saturday or a Sunday. Um, and then usually by, by you know, Monday, I look like a normal human being again. <laughs> and I usually only shave once a week. You know, there are times where I will dabble twice, and it, it all depends on the circumstance, if I'm going to be in front of fancy people like yourself or I'm going to be going to a, a black tie affair or something of the nature, which I don't know that I've ever been to a black tie affair. But anyways, you get the point. So I would say as a general rule, I'm a once-a-week kind of guy. Um, but but there are the, the rare exceptions where it's two or three times. How about yourself, Joe? Has anyone ever asked you that before? How often do you shave? Well, yeah, you know, it's tough for me. I'm Italian uh, and Irish, so I have, I'm hairy and I have very fair skin. 
So it depends on my schedule. Yeah, okay. it, it depends on my schedule. Um, I've been doing Facebook Lives for FanRag Sports. So if I have to do multiple of those a week, I will prep leading in, shaving every day so my skin gets accustomed to it. Accustomed to it. But if, oh. I, but if I'm only doing like once a week, I'll only shave twice a week. I'll shave a couple days prior and then like the morning of the Facebook Live. Because uh, my skin just gets really irritated pretty easily, and it's it hurt like for me because I'm it's I don't know maybe I'm just a wussy, but it hurts to shave. Oh, okay. But it, it all depends. I'm learning about you. Yeah, it all depends on the schedule, though. It's uh, if I it, honestly, we're lucky because I mostly work from home remotely. If uh, we're lucky, I shower at this point, you know. Uh, <laughs> so next, sure. next, next actual final four question. Um, North Carolina game, the ending was crazy. Um, Malik Monk shot was ridiculous. Um, I actually am a fan of when a team trusts their point, their ball handlers not to call timeout, to go down the floor and push it. That's And Roy Williams is known to do that. Uh, then Luke May hit that shot. Um, Luke May, man, what the fuck? Just t- t- what, what is his deal? Well, like, first of all, yeah, I mean... Uh, did, I, did I cut you off mid-question? No, there? no. I'm, 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 I'm so, I'm, the day before that game... I was uh, going through assignments, assigning out work to our writers, and I was like, well, yeah, this Luke May thing seems kind of interesting. And I thought it wouldn't last, and now he's, he's, a, he's a hero. Yeah, he's an, I mean, he's literally, and I'm not being sarcastic when I say this, he's an icon. Like, people are going to talk about that shot forever. Um, what, what, I, I would disagree with you a little bit on this, and I'm curious for your opinion. I'm okay pushing the ball when you're in a tie game. But I don't like I don't like doing it when you're behind and you need to make a shot because I think we've seen throughout this tournament that a team in the half court offense doesn't always execute um, in the way that they should. Whether it was Arizona the other night, and I know Arizona didn't have a timeout, but I'm just using them as a hypothetical. SMU, I just remember melting down in the first round. That was two or three weeks ago already. So I, I don't know if I agree with you on that. I agree in a tie game, yeah, go for it, go for the win. Don't give the, the, the defense a chance to set. Just go for it. But I don't know that I agree that, that if you're down that you should necessarily push it. What are your thoughts on that? I think it, I think there's a lot of like um, individual factors at play. So like for Roy Williams, this is his MO. This is what he does. He's not changing. I think otherwise, though, like it depends on do you feel like the other coach is better? Is he better schematically in the game? So if you're calling a timeout and you look across from me and, there's a be- and you know he's a better in-game coach than you, you're not doing yourself a favor, you're doing the opposing coach a favor. Um, then I think it depends on how much you trust your ball handlers. Um, obviously, yeah. North Carolina's ball handlers are solid. If you're Virginia, I'm calling timeout. Do you know what I mean? Because your offense is a debacle no matter what. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, I think, it all de- I think there's uh, individual situations that call for different actions. I think what, um, I, I, think John, I, I know you're probably with me here. I think John Calipari is a super underrated in-game coach. I think people forget what he did at UMass before Marcus Candy and uh, Roy Williams. I, I think he's a great coach as well. I think you're like this is apples apples elite elite coach thing you're comparing. But honestly, John Calipari is probably the better in-game coach, and I know nobody wants to talk about that or admit that because you know they want to talk about one and dones or whatever and whether or not they care and all that other jazz. But if I'm Roy Williams and that's what I do, and John Calipari's on the other sideline or the others on the other bench, I'm not calling timeout. I'm not giving him that chance to set up all that talent and be like, because you're also trying to take advantage of that youth he has and hope it works against them. They get confused. Anarchy runs and runs King. I mean, and at the same token, obviously if May hits that, misses that jumper, the narrative's totally different today. It'll be, why didn't they call timeout? But I think it's, I think you're right. I think it's a, 
a different situation. Everyone has a different kind of uh, outcome or, or a different strategy needed for that situation. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so to kind of answer the question you originally asked me, yeah, I mean, I don't know that I have any huge picture takeaways about Luke May. And, and it's funny because I was at the first Carolina-Kentucky game in Vegas, and Luke May actually played a, a, a relatively important role in that game for whatever reason. Um, I, you know, just, just the Carolina bigs were not kind of playing to their capabilities. Theo Pinson wasn't playing in that game. And so he had a big game. And then, of course, if you kind of followed the trajectory of Carolina season, he hasn't done a ton since. But obviously picking it up here towards the end of the uh, NBA – or end the NBA mm-hmm. – the end of the, the, the NCAA tournament. Sorry, I, I, I had the TV on in front of me and I saw NBA. But I, I swear, you, you have my undivided attention. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I don't know that I have any big picture takeaways. Look, I mean, I thought, you know, you could make a case that Carolina was the best team coming in. So I'm not totally surprised that they made it out of this region. Although I guess I can say I'm a little bit surprised considering the fact that, you know, they probably should have lost to Arkansas in the second round, but every team needs a break or two to get to this point. They certainly had theirs. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, whether it's Luke May or just, um, Carolina in general, I, I guess I would say I'm not terribly surprised to see this team this far. All right. Luke May, he has a nice set of hair, depending on how you like your hair. Excluding yourself, you have to take yourself out of the equation. Best set of hair in college basketball media. In the media? Mm-hmm. I haven't met all of the media. Um, you put me on the spot here. Let's see. Well, you, like Vitale's I mean, out, Billis is out. Seth Greenberg's out. Like, the guys with no hair are clearly out. Yeah, I mean, unless that's the look you're going for. You know, I mean, look, I mean, I, I do think some guys sport the bald look very well, including Charles Barkley, who is now part of the college basketball media. Um, I would say I've never met him personally, so I hope he doesn't mind me saying this. I think Andy Katz has phenomenal hair. He has great hair. Do you? Yeah, do you think? I, I think it's underrated hair. Um, I think that's up there. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, it's like a six seed that can make the final four. Like, like, like you wouldn't, like, you wouldn't be surprised if that six seed, like, like, it's not like a South Carolina seven seed. It's like a, you know, a, a you know, a, a six seed that, that, like I said, you know, they won their conference regular season, they won their tournament, and just like if they made the final four, you wouldn't be surprised by it, you know? Yeah, I think like somebody like Wally Zerbiak's like a two seed. Um, we know he brings the goods. He's like he's in his forties now, like his late forties. And he's still got it going on. Like, I'm jealous. I hope Wally Zerbiak looks better than me 15 years older than I do now. Um, so I think his hair is up there. Sure. I, think, I think John Rothstein keeps his well-groomed. Um, although I saw him on Bleacher Report stream the other day. He was doing a, a show. His hair from his avatar on Twitter and his hair that he was rocking on the Bleacher Report thing, totally different. On, on Twitter, he looks like a guy from Goodfellas. And then on the Bleacher Report, it was much more of a, a natural... Um, I don't want to say like a two-a-days. Remember that show on MTV with the football programs? I don't want to say a two-a-days haircut. I remember it, yeah. But uh, something much more uh, less product-y. Sure. So, uh, so you're going to go to Andy Katz? Is that your final answer? Yeah, I think so. All right. Outside of Thornwell for South Carolina, could you please tell me how South Carolina is good at basketball? <laughs> um, I mean, look um, – I would say this, and, and you know, I've gotten a, asked a lot about South Carolina in the previous couple of days because nobody knows anything about them, and I'll be the first to admit that I really don't know much about them 
either, Joe. And here's the thing, and this is kind of the gift and the curse of the tournament. And I think, uh, you know, to be honest, a team like South Carolina, I think in some ways hurts college basketball because fans feel like, well, I spent all year watching Kansas, I spent all year watching Duke, I spent all year watching Kentucky, they're not in the Final Four, but this random school is, like, why do I need to watch the regular season? So I say all this to say I've been getting asked a lot about South Carolina. I really didn't watch them either. I mean, look, Kentucky is appointment viewing. Duke is appointment viewing. Um, you know, I try to catch most Louisville games. I try to catch most Carolina games. South Carolina, I mean, the number of times that I sat down to watch them is minimal at best. I mean, the, the most vivid memory I have of them during the regular season is a four-overtime loss to Alabama, which is one of the <laughs> ugliest games I've, I've seen. So, like, like, I don't have an answer. I mean, the answer is they have a great coach, um, and they're peaking at the right time. They have better players than people realize. I mean, Sindarius Thornwell is going to get a shot at the NBA. P.J. Dozier was a McDonald's All-American. And they, they just, they're playing their best basketball at the right time. And, and I don't want to say they're hot. I don't want to say they're lucky because when you beat the two, three, and four seed in your region to get to the final four, that's not luck. That's just playing really good basketball and maybe playing better now than you have uh, all season long. Yeah. I, I, I'm gonna, I think what you made is, uh, the point about if it's a, detri- a detriment for casual fans, I do think somebody like Frank Martin kind of makes up for it because we're going to get all that story this week. And then uh, Thornwell, when you have a dominant player like that, um, if people are unfamiliar with them, I think maybe they'll get on board. Um, but in theory, I think you're right. I think they lucked out, though, that because Frank Martin's story, his background is just so crazy. Uh, speaking of Frank Martin, this week we're going to get all kinds of narratives about him. Um, I believe there's two different ways people are going to go with him. So I'm going to ask you which one you prefer You prefer happens this week. For the Frank Martin narratives, would you prefer him to be treated as a beloved passionate crazy man but beloved or a crazy person who was once almost scrubbed from the planet as a bouncer i mean i think it's it's two in the same right i mean i think like like first of all I, and i know this is kind of a fun offbeat question but like this is why we love the ncaa tournament and this is why the ncaa tournament every year captures our attention and usually it's the school that no one's heard of that doesn't belong in the Sweet 16 or in some cases like a Butler or George Mason in the Final Four. That's what captivates the country. But, like, this is a coach. And so I was doing an interview earlier today. I, you know, I, I know this was supposed to be a funny kind of topic, Joe. No, but I go do for wanna it. Kinda like, yeah, I was going to say, like, I, I think this is, like, really important. And I think this should be like a guiding beacon for any of us in life who are like struggling or trying to figure out what our purpose is or anything like that. Like Frank Martin is not supposed to be here, right? Like, like, you know, he doesn't like, he didn't play at a major school. He's not the son of a famous coach or player. He wasn't, uh, you know, he didn't start as an assistant at Duke or Carolina. I mean, look, we can go on and on down the list, you know, just, you know, whether it's Chris Collins, Steve, Boger, you know, every single person, in college basketball, there's a reason that they're there. They got on with the right guy at the right time. As I said, their dad was a coach. They're a former player. You know, Frank Martin, what you just said, he almost got shot as a nightclub bouncer. Like, this was a guy who spent 10 years coaching high school basketball in Miami. Not even, it's not even like he was coaching at, like, some Indiana high school powerhouse and got plucked from there. He was coaching in Miami for a decade before he got his first, you know, first even opportunity at the college level. And so, like, to me, like, this is a story that, to kind of come full circle on your question, like, 
I hope people embrace it because like, dude, like, like this guy literally like, like he shouldn't be here. Like he, he is the anti-establishment, but it shows that like, look, if you believe in yourself, if you work hard, if you come to work every day and give your best effort, like those are kind of like corny things that people kind of just like, yeah, okay, whatever. But it's like, it's true. Dream, like as lame as it sounds, like dreams do come true. And I hope people appreciate that this, appreciate that this week with him um, because it, it really is an incredible story, and I hope people, more people can get behind it. No, you're actually 100% right. I actually wrote this morning about it's on fanrightsports.com if people want to read it. How, like, even just like, so he left Kansas State, he goes to South Carolina. He's the son of Cuban exiles, and he's coaching in a state yep. that reveled in the Confederate flag. Like, the, it just makes it makes no sense. And he's, he's there persevering and succeeding, and all those other things you mentioned 10 years, 11 years coaching high school basketball in Miami. Um, and the, 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 the whole nightclub bouncer thing, and there's even more to it. There's all, there's a lot. And I, I, I was yesterday on Twitter, Sunday on Twitter, I was begging for somebody ultra talented to like, you know, try to interview him, try to get all the details. His story is insane. And it could be used as an inspirational story for people who, because the, the, the cards were stacked against Frank Martin. Like, he's not, you're right, he's not supposed to be here. He's not supposed to be succeeding doing what he wants to do. And he still managed to find his way through perseverance. And I think that's a, a great inspirational story. Um, so now we're going to go on to... Well, I would say... Uh, oh, well, go ahead. I was just going to say really quick, Matt Norlander from CBS actually did a big, big, big piece on him in South Carolina. And, and to be honest, I don't. I, I know Matt pretty well. I, I haven't talked to him about it. But, you know, it's clear that he put in a lot of legwork before... Uh, last night's game, it all kind of came together, uh, you know, at Madison Square Garden. But if you're looking for that piece, you know, Matt Norlander did it. It was really good. All right. Everybody, Matt Norlander. He's at CBS, correct, Matt Norlander? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, CBS. Did. So everybody go check that out. Matt, he's a great writer. I would I would blindly suggest people reading it. I'll probably read it too when this is over. Um, so Mark Few, Gonzaga, Final Four. They finally made it. National narrative dead. Or if they lose, will it come back? Oh, I think it's. I don't think it's dead. That's the sad part. I, I, I think for for some people it is. I think for logical, intelligent people it is. But you know, I was amazed at how many people still are like, "Well, if Gonzaga wins, like who, like who's had an easier path than Gonzaga?" And it's like, well, shit. Like I can swear on this podcast, right? You use, yeah. You use I use the F word. Earlier. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, fuck, man. Like, what do these guys have to do? I mean, you really, I mean, honestly, like, let's just be realistic about this here. It's like, first of all, other teams have had easy roads before. Um, and second of all, like, it's like it's not Gonzaga's fault that Arizona lost to Xavier, and maybe we should give Gonzaga credit for beating up on a Xavier team that flustered Arizona all night long. You know, I mean, there's, like, this narrative that, like, you have to, like you don't have to beat all sixty-seven teams in the tournament. You just have to beat the six that, that are that are that, that you're that you're matched up to play with. And it's like, but I was amazed by how many people, like, as soon as the the Zags clinched that spot, were like, well, you know, uh, uh, well, the, the path has been easy, and look at them. And and then on Sunday it was like, well, now they play South Carolina. It's like, well, shit, dude, South Carolina just beat the two, three, and four seed in their bracket. To get to the final four, like like yeah, South Carolina was a seven seed, but they are a deserving final four participant. So 
I don't think the narrative is dead, and that's the sad part. Is like, what do these guys have to do? And I guess it's probably, frankly, win the national championship because even if they beat South Carolina, it's gonna be like, well, they beat the seven seed that nobody saw coming. Like, yeah, they're at the Final Four. They're playing for a national championship potentially. Like, it's amazing to me, and it's funny because this narrative is still alive and well. I told you this, or I don't know if I've told you this before, Joe, but I've said it a couple times. Is like when Gonzaga was in. Um, LA, I, I spent some time around the team and I, I talked to Nigel Williams Goss and this was during the part of the season where they were undefeated and it was looking like they probably would finish the regular season undefeated. And I said to Nigel Williams Goss, I said, you know, is it hard to stay focused as you're kind of beating up these WCC teams by 20, 25, 30 points? And he's like, it's not hard to stay focused when everybody in the country is doubting you. And, and I, it really took me back, and I, I was like, oh, that's a, that's really a great quote, and it's, that's a direct quote. I printed it and everything. And I said to him, I said, well, what are you going to have to do to earn people's respect? And he's like, look, we got to make the Final Four. We know that people know the narrative. We know the narrative ourselves, and it's amazing to me that they've now done that, and it's still not enough. So, no, I'm with you, Joe. I, I still think that – I don't think it's fair, but I think in the eyes of a lot of people, they still have to make the Final Four to earn that quote-unquote ultimate respect, which – is beyond idiotic, but that's another story for another day. I agree with you, like, word for word. Um, I, I was kind of hoping they, w- they would be dead. You're more West Coast than I am. Um, so if, if it's still alive there, it's definitely alive on the East Coast, unfortunately. People just don't want to don't want to give credit, and everything's the worst, and all that other stuff. Like, you know how it is. Uh, people react, and Sean Miller's the worst, John Calipari. Like, whenever somebody loses... They're the worst, or they're overrated, or whatever. Gonzaga's, I forget who wrote about it, but recently somebody wrote about how far Gonzaga's program has come. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. At, the point, like, at one point, they had to give back their, their jerseys and their sh- practice shorts each season, and the only time they would get new sneakers if literally there was holes in the bottom of them. And now they're playing in the Final Four. Like, I think we should be people should be celebrating that instead of being like, oh, yeah, the easy path. They need to win the title. Well, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, and I want to jump in there. First of all, that was Jeff Eisenberg who wrote that. It was a really good story uh, from Yahoo Sports, and I encourage people to check it out. But, like, let me even take it one step further. So, first of all, you just hit the nail on the head. This is a program that every school in America that is not in the Power Five or Power Six conferences should strive to be. There is no reason that every program from, you know, uh, I don't know, any program in America cannot do what Gonzaga has done. If they, you know, you need the right breaks, you need the right coach, you need the right this, you need the right that. But, like, what they've done is incredible. But then, on top of that, I, I then have people texting me, oh, I'm so tired of Gonzaga, I'm so sick of this narrative. Gonzaga is a team, just as a team, as a group of guys, that we should be applauding because here's the deal. They have three guys in their starting lineup who transferred from high major schools. And, you know, look, transfers are kind of seen as a a negative in college basketball, but they all left where they were to be part of something bigger than themselves. You know, Nigel Williams-Goss was at Washington. Jordan Matthews was at Cal. Um, uh, You know, Jonathan Williams was at Missouri. All of those guys are putting up worse stats. They're putting up fewer stats and fewer minutes at Gonzaga than they did at their previous school. And they're doing it because they wanted to win. Jonathan Williams tired of losing at Missouri. Nigel Williams got tired of losing at Washington. So, like, like if for no other reason, even if you don't want them to win, even if you don't believe that they're really as good as the Carolinas and Kentuckys and Kansases and Dukes and whoever, let's just give them credit as a group of guys. Like, like you know, there's so much negative 
publicity about college athletics in general and really the, the major revenue sports with, with basketball and football that it's like, how about we just take a moment and praise these kids that that are doing it the right way, that are sacrificing for their team, that are giving up stats. You know, Zach Collins came to Gonzaga with the expectation that he was going to have a chance to start this year, and then Karnuski gets hurt last year, has to sit out the year, and takes a fifth year this year. Like, what? Like, wh- like that's incredible. Like, he's a McDonald's All-American. He might be an NBA draft pick this year. And so that, that part pisses me off more than anything. I mean, look, if it was – like, look, Kansas, you know, we give Kansas so much credit for everything – like six of their guys got arrested at some point in this season, and that's a little bit of an exaggeration, maybe it's two or three, but like the broader point is like, you know, if you want to root against anybody, root against those guys. Like don't root against Gonzaga. Like they've done it the right way. They've earned this trip, and it, it just pisses me off. No, I'm totally with you. I think what a lot of people are, especially the, it's, I think it goes to the casual fan where it's they think we're, they're being billed uh, false goods with Gonzaga, that they're really not this good, and they're ignoring that they beat really good teams in the non-conference this year, and that this is this has been an over a decade build to be in a legitimate national program. Um, we're going to do another hard transition for you. So you kind of mentioned sure. it earlier. I know you, I've known you for a little bit now. I think we became friendly after I complimented one of your features. Um, Great. And we have we have mutual friends. Yeah, exactly. Right. And uh, we have mutual friends yeah. in the business like Kyle Kenson and all that stuff. Um, but now you're kind of famous. You're on the herd. You mentioned that earlier on television, right? I watched it. There's Aaron Torres on television holding his own with Colin Coward, who seems to adore you. So what's it like being famous? Uh, it's great. Um, you know, as I told you, uh, going forward, all my podcast requests have to go through my new assistant that I just hired the other day. Um, no, it, it, it was so, you know, not to give you too much of a behind the scenes, but, um, you know, Fox Sports, you know, television is, is on the Fox movie lot. So like you like you literally drive in and there's like you know like the the cafeteria at the Fox lot is called Moe's and it's named like Moe's Tavern on The Simpsons and so our office kind of digitally is you know a mile or two down the road and you know there you know don't get me wrong my bosses go over there for meetings all the time and all that stuff but so I had to on Friday when I went on the herd I had to actually go from my office to the lot, you know, check in, do all that stuff, then go on the herd, and then I came back to my office later that day. And so when I walked in the office, when I walked, when I came back to the office after being on the herd, I could feel people treating me differently. Like, like, oh, my God, that was incredible. But And, and like, I told my, like, I, I was with my girlfriend this weekend, like, we, not going to lie, we were watching the Kardashians, and, um, you know, this was after basketball one night. And I said, and, you know, like, we're talking about how all the cameras are there. And I was like, I see why these famous people go crazy. Because, like, people, like, were treating me on Friday as if I, like, split an atom or, (laughs) you know, uh, you know, found a cure for world hunger. And I'm like, dude, I went on a couch and talked about basketball. Like, I I sit on my couch and talk basketball every day of my life. It's really not that big of a deal. So, um, you know, being famous is great. I don't have any groupies yet, unfortunately. Um, and it hasn't driven me crazy yet, but give me like another six months and I might just, you might see me on like TMZ, like, you know, uh, you know, uh, getting thrown out of a club or something with, uh, you know, with Drake. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see how it goes, but I, I can see why people go crazy. Cause it was a very bizarre thing that happened to me. And by the way, I'm not like knocking my coworkers. They were being genuinely nice, but like, I was like, I, it was really an uncomfortable moment for me because, you know, I'm the type of guy that. I expect great things for myself and, you know, I, I don't do things for praise. I do them because, 
I want to, you know, write kick-ass content and do great shit. And, like, so I don't do it for applause or anything like that. So it was, it, it was a little strange, but, but so far being famous is good. We'll see, you know, I don't know if I have to hire an extra security, you know, detail for the Final Four or not. I guess we'll find out when I get there. Two things. One, you said extra security, which makes me believe that you already have security for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> the second one is you're selling yourself short. It is very – I think people don't realize how hard it is to – whether it's radio, whether it's television, to be able to express yourself verbally. You know what I mean? Like one thing written – written content is hard enough by itself, but you, you can edit. You could go back. It's not live. You're, on, you're sitting on the couch next to Colin Coward who, if he doesn't like you, you know what I mean, he'll give you a hard time, and you you recently won him over, and he'll defer to your opinions. I don't think that's I don't think that's an easy thing to accomplish. I think that your fame is deserved. I just ask, like, when you start, like, hanging out with Christina Ricci, uh, Rachel Lee Cook, Jessica Alba, that you don't forget about your boy. That's all I ask. Well, th- well, thankfully, it's not 1999 anymore, so I probably won't be hanging <laughs> well, out. Well, listen, your fame's not going to be that big, right? Like, you're not going to be an A-list celebrity, you know what I mean? So I'm trying to think of people that kind of fell off the map a little bit, you know what I mean? Yeah. You, you might you be in those circles. I will tell you a funny story about hanging out with one of those people. Um, oh, go on. <laughs> so as I told you, our, our office is, you know, a couple miles from the Fox Studio lot, so we're in this big kind of corporate complex, and... From the outside of things, it doesn't look like anything fancy, but located in our corporate complex is the home of Jessica Alba's budding, uh, you know, line of baby stuff. I don't really know exactly <laughs> what she does, but it's like eco-friendly baby stuff. Like, I don't know. And I've never seen her, but apparently she was hanging out at the food truck the other day, and, and one, of my, one of my coworkers very eagerly came back to tell us how he had, you know, made small talk with her. I don't know if it was about her baby stuff or not, but, um, but yeah, Jessica Alba, just like one of us, hanging out at the food truck. So, so, so uh, I'll just let you know that, that, you know, fame has clearly not gotten to her in the same way that it has not gotten to me yet, but I am subject to change any day now. Oh, that's tremendous. Uh, are you ready to give your final four predictions yet, or are you saving that for later in the week? Um, I haven't really thought them through. Um... Yeah, I mean, fuck it. Like, who cares, right? You know, if I'm wrong, I've been wrong. Well, if my, my listenership's not started. huge anyway, so you could back off of this later. Nobody, like, you know what I mean? You could be like, well, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, uh, it'll be like, uh, you know, other famous people. Oh, my Twitter was hacked, or oh, my this was hacked. No, I mean, like, look, every pick I've made is wrong so far this tournament, <laughs> so why do I care? Um, yeah, I mean, I got Villanova over Louisville in the title game, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to change it now. I mean, that's what I said pre-tournament, right? So... <laughs> No, I mean, um, I, look, I think Carolina's going to win the second game because they're just so big and so physical. And Jordan Bell's awesome, but, like, I don't know that he can do it by himself against a team that averaged 13 more rebounds a game than anybody else in college basketball. The first thing I'm still kind of torn on, Joe, and I'll tell you why, is because I think the easy, obvious answer is to say, South Carolina, or to say Gonzaga, that South Carolina's run is nice, but there's two things that are kind of keeping me from from saying Gonzaga. One is that, like we said, like South Carolina is not here by accident. They had to beat very good teams to get here. But two, my other worry is this. This stayed with me last year. As I mentioned at the top, I was at the West Regional Final last year when Oklahoma beat uh, Oregon in Oklahoma with Buddy Heald, of course. And 
I remember being in the locker room after the game. It was kind of a surreal experience where I'm talking to all the guys and like, you know, they're like, you know, look, this whole season it's been Final Four bus. We 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 got to get to the Final Four. We want to get to the Final Four. We can't wait to get to the Final Four. And I'm and I remember sitting there thinking in my head like, you know, you realize when you get to the Final Four, there's two more games to play, right? Like the yeah. season isn't over. Like the Final Four is the last stop, but it isn't like the end of the journey. And I think it showed when Oklahoma got on the court, um, you know, in, you know, in, uh, I guess it was Houston last year, like they just, they weren't ready to play. And so I wonder if Gonzaga has a little bit of that in them of like, just happy to be here. Final four, you know, <clears throat> there's a difference with a team whose end game was getting to the final four and whose end game is winning a national championship. And I do worry a little bit that Gonzaga may fall into that second camp. Um, my hunch is still to lean Gonzaga, but I think for anyone that's just like, you know, write it in pen, it's a done deal. Those two things, specifically the second one, do worry me. I guess I would say Gonzaga, North Carolina, which I think is what everyone's going to say. But I do think that first game is probably going to be closer than people expect. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I'm, when I fill up, I'm not even a line. I'll, I'll put a screen grab of it or whatever on Twitter if I have to. When I did my bracket, I have Gonzaga and Oregon in the title game, so I'm not, I'm not going to nice. back. I'm not going to backtrack off. But I have Gonzaga winning the title as well. Um, I did not have South Carolina or North Carolina in the final four, though. I had UCLA and Villanova, so I'm an idiot like most everybody else. And that's the great thing is somebody uh, in, at work the other day in the Slack offices, you know, the famous Slack offices, they were discussing. What's more impressive, getting the final four right, or or getting the first couple of rounds right? And I'm like, none of it's impressive. Do you know what I mean? Like none of it. It's all luck. Like I follow the sport all year round. I I had Villanova last season getting knocked out in the second round. Do you know what I mean? So like, sure. none of, and like I like to consider myself a pretty educated college basketball fan, and I have no idea what I'm talking about because it's it's literally designed for anarchy to to win. I have one more question for well, you. And, oh, go ahead. No, go, go what ahead. I was gonna. I was no. All I was going to say too is like, and you can get your picks right, and weird stuff can happen. I mean, like, look, like Kansas was like an offense, like, like they were a tipped offensive rebound to Jordan Bell away from that game. They were down sixty six sixty with like two minutes to go. They have the rebound in their hands, and it falls into you know, it falls out of their hands into Jordan Bell. Tyler Dorsey hits a three. All of a sudden, it's a nine point game. The game's basically over. But like. You know, you can have the pick right and just weird stuff can happen. I mean, another game where um, one team seemingly had the game in their hands and then lost it. I mean, there's probably 15 over the course of of the entire tournament. I mean, so, like, that's the thing is, like, in a one-game situation where, let's be honest, you know, these guys are not professionals. Most of them will make their livings doing something other than playing basketball. Like, crazy stuff is going to happen. And so, yeah, I mean, like, I, I, it is all luck. And it, is, it, it was funny, you know, you mentioned the herd when I was on with him the other day. He's like, do you get mad at people like me who I literally don't tune into basketball until after the Super Bowl? And, you know, my bracket's doing pretty well. And I, and I basically said the same thing. I was like, no, man, it's all luck. Like, I get mad at myself because I watch all these games <laughs> and it's all for nothing. But, like... But it is all luck, and so I mean, and, but it's also what makes the tournament fun. I think I saw some crazy number where tournament ratings are up like thirty six percent this year, or something like that, and it's because of the randomness of it, up because of the stuff that that you know none of us can predict. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to go too deep into this, but I think you touched on a couple of points. I mean, the reason why I chose, like, not chose, I always wanted to be a writer 
But why basketball, college basketball always interested me, and I think the NCAA the tournament kind of highlights it, is the human interest stories. Because there's such a roster turnover, and new stories happen every year. We get to learn about guys like Luke May now, or Frank Martin's story is going to be told bigger. Like, all these things help in, in, in increase the, the viability and the consumption of it by people who otherwise not care. Because it's just, it's insane, and it's very easy just to fill out a bracket. There's no... It's not complicated like fantasy football. It's just like, is this team going to beat this team? Um, so I got one more question yep. for you. This is going to be the most sure. important question you'll answer all week leading to the Final Four. So you work for Fox Sports, as we mentioned. I work for FanRagSports.com. If Now, I'm also a little bit older than you. I'm chubbier, but I have more experience in this question you're going to be asking. If I let you be the captain of the Fox Sports college basketball team, media team, and you got to pick two other writers... Can you outdrink the FanRag Sports' college basketball team with me as the captain, with me picking two other writers? So, like, you're going to have to pick your two writers, obviously, who you think maybe could outdrink us. Um, I mean, I, I need a scouting report on, on you know, the, uh, the opponent. I mean, op- opponents trade tape before games by rule. Well, I'll tell you, my first pick would be this guy. I don't know if you're familiar with him, Wendell Barnhouse. He's older than us. I think he's in his – I don't want to age him to death here. I, I believe he's in his 50s. He used to do work for the Big 12 Network. Um, I don't know if he actually drinks, but the way he looks, he just looks like he always has a cigar ready and a, and a glass of whiskey. So that's how I imagine sure. he worked. Like, and he, he great content he gives us. He does a lot of interviews. Um, he's gonna he's on the the Frank Martin phone call probably conference call probably right now. I don't know if it's happening now or in a couple hours. Um, I just imagine he's always working with a cigar in his hand with a, a glass of whiskey right next to him. And then I didn't really have a second great um, person who I assume is an alcoholic to uh, put with me. So I, I was just going to go with Kyle just because I know he, <laughs> he knows the stakes. Like, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it right. Yeah, I, I would – you know what? I'm not going to lie. I would lean more towards you guys, and I'll tell you why. In my old age, I've become a little bit of a wimp where – I probably I probably drink on more days now of the week than I ever have, which is kind of sad. Like, I'll have a beer to take the edge off after a stressful day, but I don't like to drink for the sake of getting drunk. So, like, you know, like, don't get me wrong. I mean, I've had my, my moments of weakness like everybody else, but, like, I don't – I'm not that crazy, like, let's – do shots kind of guy anymore i mean so uh you know listen of course now now that i'm famous you'll see me on tmz <laughs> and it'll be the opposite but like uh like uh yeah I, I don't know i would give you guys the edge because you know i'm that i'm that point guard that pushes pace i know i'm not asked to to to, to score 30 and i'm not even going to try to score 30 that's just not who i am that's not in my repertoire that's kind of how i am as a drinker i'm a even keeled you know guy i'm like the uh you know, who's a good cop? Like, I'm like the Aaron Kraft of, uh, you know, drinking. <laughs> like, you know, I know I know my lane, I know what I'm capable of, and I never try to do more of it. But I think in a situation like this, it would probably hurt our team. So I'm going to say that I would be the weak link and that you guys would probably win. I should probably be full disclosure. I haven't drank in 10 months. No reason, just I, I don't like I have kids, so I don't like them, like, drinking around them. So I think I was I was sure. I was waiting for you to like bring the hammer and be like, yeah, this guy over here, he's a raging alcoholic, so we're gonna win. You didn't fall for the bait. So uh, so that's all I really got for you. You got some stuff you want to plug before we get going? No, I mean I would just <laughs> say follow me on Twitter at Aaron underscore Torres. I mean you know I'm still trying to figure out what I'm exactly gonna be writing this week. Uh, 
going to be on site uh, in Phoenix, actually starting Wednesday, which is awesome. Uh, going to get out there. Uh, oh, this is not confirmed yet, so uh-huh. I don't want to get America's hopes up too much. But I've been told, um, so you know the college three-point shooting contest and dunk contest every year? Tell me you're judging it. I'm not judging it, oh. but I'm, I'm, it's at Grand Canyon University, home of uh, Thunder Dan Marley. The Antelopes. Uh, he is judging the dunk contest. Yep, the Lopes. And uh, I was texting with the SID the other day, and he said that prior to the three-point slam dunk contest, there is a media three-point contest. Now, I haven't picked up a basketball in probably at least six months, uh, so I, I don't even know if I'm qualified to enter, but there's a possibility <laughs> that I'll be doing it. And if there is, I, I may uh, I may post some video or something like that. We'll see, though. I haven't officially decided yet. I was actually supposed to, like, send in my, like, request to be part of it. Like, uh, you know, I was, I was supposed to send it in probably, like, three days ago, and I didn't. So we'll see. Oh, I hope you do it. That is tremendous. Uh, everybody follow Aaron on Twitter. He's great. His writing's great. Great on the radio, great on TV. He's just a super talent. And don't forget that on Friday, Jared will be back. We'll have the Friday's normal edition of the Relatively Speaking podcast. Again, thank you to Fox's Aaron Torres for coming on to do a special Final Four edition midweek Relatively Speaking podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Joseph Nardone, N-A-R-D-O-N-E, my writing at fanrightsports.com. I hope everybody has a great day. Tune in Friday. All around me are familiar websites, worn out clickbait, worn out hot takes, bright and early for the daily link dumps. No one's clicking, no one's clicking. Their pages are filling up their pockets, but not for writers. Not for writers. Hide my head, I want to do a slideshow. No tomorrow. No tomorrow. And I find it kind of funny. I find it kind of sad. The internet in which I'm worthless is the best I've ever had. I find it hard to tell you. I find it too hot to take When people blog in circles It's a very, very Mad world Mad